0: I am Brother Cornel West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D. Public Enemy, Prophecy, Rage, and this is Newsbeat. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Newsbeat, where we meld the realms of hard-hitting independent journalism and original hip-hop music to amplify the most pressing yet often underreported social justice issues of our day. My name is Manny Faces, Newsbeat's audio editor, co-producer, and host. And on this extraordinary episode, we'll be shining a light on the horrific train derailment that occurred in East Palestine, Ohio, back on February 3rd, and its ongoing fallout. At about 8.55 p.m. that night, this small village near the Ohio-Pennsylvania border was shaken to its core when about 50 cars of a Norfolk Southern freight train carrying hazardous materials careened from their tracks and exploded sending a fireball with thick black smoke billowing into the sky and countless gallons of contaminants into the soil and surrounding waterways. This apocalyptic hellscape was made even worse three days later when officials determined that to avert an even more catastrophic explosion, they needed to intentionally vent and set ablaze more of the toxic chemicals, including the human carcinogen vinyl chloride, creating yet another raging inferno and ominous mushroom cloud spreading who knows what for miles. An important side note, Burning vinyl chloride creates phosgene, used by Germany and the Allies to kill trenches of soldiers during World War I. It also creates dioxins, persistent organic pollutants that even the EPA warns are, quote, highly toxic and can cause cancer, reproductive and developmental problems, damage to the immune system, and can interfere with hormones, end quote. Weird, then, that the EPA refused to test for this stuff. Or maybe not. We'll get into that in a little bit. Regardless, residents were told to leave immediately or face the possibility of death, despite so many neither having the money nor the means to do so or a place to go. Now, we'll be delving into the causes of the crash and the politics and greed that fueled it all, as well as its immediate lingering and uncertain ramifications. As we always do, we'll be passing the mic to people that actually experienced this living hell firsthand, Voices raising concerns you simply will not hear from government, health officials, or the corporate mainstream media. People such as Candace DeSanzo, a lifelong multi-generational resident and mother of five whose family has been suffering coughs, migraines, nosebleeds, rashes, intense stomach pains, difficulty breathing and much more ever since the derailment and whose small children's lungs still rattle despite all the photo ops and denials by the ever dwindling stream of quote experts who have been parading through the small village since this catastrophe. We'll also talk to Louis DeAngelis, an independent journalist who's been on the ground in East Palestine, providing outstanding coverage of the living hell its residents are experiencing, as well as the false claims from elected officials and health authorities. Much of his reporting featured by progressive independent news outlet Status Coup News. And we'll hear from Julia Rock, investigative reporter at the reader-supported independent news organization The Lever, who breaks down the dark history, policies, backroom politics, and greed greasing the rails that contributed not only to this tragic derailment, but the more than 1,000 plaguing other small towns and villages across the United States per year. Until all this is exposed and rectified, every freight train remains a ticking time bomb. With money and power preventing safety regulations and equipment, that would undoubtedly help save lives punctuating all of this with incredible original lyrics is new york new jersey based hip-hop powerhouse silent night one of our artists in residence now before we hear from them all please take a quick second to ensure that you're subscribed just search for newsbeat wherever you could possibly listen to podcasts we're on apple podcasts spotify etc or visit usnewsbeat.com for links And maybe take another quick moment to subscribe to our free Substack newsletter at newsbeat.substack.com. You'll get much more information on each episode, plus bonus content, artist and guest info, and much more. And again, it's free. A big thank you in advance. And stick around after this episode for some important updates and additional information about this story. All right, y'all, here it is. This is Something Isn't Right in East Palestine.
1: It may sound familiar. A train derailment in a small Ohio town sends a toxic plume of chemicals into the air, forcing residents to evacuate. That is the plot of last year's Adam Driver film, White Noise. And while it may sound like compelling fiction, it's also a reality for the nearly 5,000 residents of East Palestine, Ohio. It's a town 50 miles northwest of Pittsburgh, where a train carrying toxic chemicals derailed washing the local community in hazardous fumes. The accident has largely escaped the eye of national media since the derailment on February the 3rd. About 50 cars operated by Norfolk Southern came off their track and crumpled into a smoldering pile. 10 of the cars carried hazardous materials, according to the rail operator, including vinyl chloride, used to make plastics when it burns at lower temperatures, it emits a gas called phosgene, which was used to clear trenches in World War I. The vinyl chloride in particular is highly flammable, and crews ignited it to burn it off in what they called a controlled environment.
2: It was a normal night because Monday through Friday, we did the same thing. My, my husband works 2 to 11. So, you know, I have a 1, a 2, and a 10-year-old, so we have that same schedule. And I had actually just got done cooking dinner, and we were doing activity time. And my son, my 10-year-old, was FaceTiming with some of his girlfriends who live right, the tracks are right behind their house. And I could hear like a big boom. And I wondered, you know, what's going on? And then I could hear the girls screaming. And I'm like, Ronnie, what's going on? And He said, Mom, they said that there's a big fire. I said, what happened? They said a train wrecked.
3: If you have to come to East Palestine, don't.
4: Resident, resident if you have not evacuated, evacuated please, leave please leave the area.
5: We are following breaking news as we come on the air this morning. A train derailment forces hundreds from their home in Ohio. This is a view from our SkyEye 2 drone showing those flames shooting into the air. Fire departments from three states, including Pennsylvania, are all actively working to get this massive fire under control.
2: And so I stepped out on my front porch and that's when I could see that big, huge plume of smoke in the air. I wasn't too concerned because I really didn't know what was going on. But as I seen the fire trucks come in from every other city because I live like on the main road of town, I started to get more and more concerned, and as that smoke, you know, that plume grew bigger and bigger and bigger, I finally decided to call my husband at work, he works at the local school district here, and I said, uh, there was a train derailment, I don't know what's going on, but I think that we we need to leave. And of course, he he tried, he's like, calm down, let me go check out what's going on. Well, when I was on the phone with him, the school said, leave, go home to your families. And uh, we kind of just sheltered in place and waited as I could see cars going by my house, just people leaving town. And, And I was getting more and more and more concerned. Fears of a
5: wider health and environmental disaster are growing after a 150-car freight train operated by Norfolk Southern derailed and released toxic chemicals last week, yes, in the community of East Palestine near Ohio's border with Pennsylvania. Data released by the Environmental Protection Agency shows the train contained more toxic and carcinogenic chemicals than initially reported. The EPA also said, quote, materials released during the derailment were observed and detected in samples from sulfur. Run, Leslie Run, Bull Creek, North Fork, uh, Little Beaver Creek, and the Ohio River. The Ohio Department of Natural Resources estimates the spill killed more than 3,500 fish in surrounding waterways. Chickens have been found dead in their coops. Residents have reported sore throats, burning eyes,
2: and respiratory problems. The sad thing is, is as soon as this town knew that that train had hazardous chemicals on it, They should have signaled a siren. They should have done something. People were standing on their porches. People were going down with their children to the scene to see what was going on. If I would have had any idea, I mean, I was standing on my front porch with the one and two-year-old in my arms. You know, so right there was the first time we were ever exposed because we had no idea what was going on. And we were hearing these loud booms and... Uh, I I mean and seeing this huge ball of fire from the sky cuz like I said I live kind of at the like the top of the hill of the town and within a couple hours over social media I I had more of an idea what was going on and uh, uh, I I was terrified Uh, I did what you know the authorities said to do and that was to shelter in place And over the next few days, I just found out more and more and more of what was going on.
6: Good evening. I'm Lena Live. Breaking news from Columbiana County. East Palestine is now under an urgent mandatory evacuation order after a toxic train derailment. Governor Mike DeWine late tonight, activating the Ohio National Guard to assist with a potential of a catastrophic explosion.
4: I spent about a week on the ground in East Palestine, Ohio, uh, with my cameraman at the time, John Farina. I had never been to East Palestine before, hadn't even heard of it before, to be honest with you. From what I can gather, trying to picture what it was like before, and and even now, I mean this is a small town of less than 5,000 residents, very tight-knit community. The railroad tracks literally go right down the middle of the town the majority of the 5,000 people in town live within, you know, a mile of the railroad tracks. Uh, going through this town, it's a, a busy corridor with trains kind of constantly going through. And that was the first thing we experienced, right? It's weird as far as the, the health concerns. These are things that are hard to just visually show people. Um, and when we're there, you know, on the ground reporting on this sort of thing, we're hoping to be able to show this with a camera, right? The, that, that, that these things are going on. But a lot of it is is things that you can't see. It's walking into the gas station in town right near the tracks to go pick up a, a snack or something. When you open the door, you're hit with a, a wave of just like, I mean, there's a haze inside. You immediately feel it in your eyes, in your nose, um, a little bit in your throat in some cases, depending on where you are. It's almost like the officials in the area in some cases, I don't you know, some some folks are doing a great job, others not so much, are not making it seem like there is a major health concern, which is was the big concern to me because myself experiencing some of this stuff, being invited into these people's homes, spending time, you know, near the railroad tracks as trains are going by and all sorts of dust is getting kicked up. You know, I'm not an expert, but instinctively I know that something is not right there. It's odd that it isn't like there are warning signs anywhere. There's there are not warning signs along the creeks. A mother that I spoke with in town made that point to me clearly in in some of the interviews that I did. She was like, "Why are there not signs and and red tape up or, you know, something up around these creeks to prevent kids and and other folks in the town from from getting near them." So unfortunately, no, it's 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 not obvious when you're walking around, but it's obvious when you get out of the car, you walk into the house, you spend a little bit of time near the railroad tracks or near the the site that something is not right in East Palestine.
2: When the soldiers came knocking on the door and told us to basically leave our homes, you know, we were one of those families, we live paycheck to paycheck. And, and that's the only reason we stayed. We, we didn't have the means to leave. You know, thank thank God for my mother-in-law. She, she gave us a couple hundred dollars so that we could go to a hotel and stay for that, you know, those first couple nights. And, you know, they lifted the evacuation. They did the controlled burn.
1: A cloud of uncertainty in eastern Ohio. It's basically a mushroom cloud. Um, I mean, there's really no other way to describe it. This giant plume of smoke and fire erupting into the sky Monday afternoon in a controlled release, burning for hours with hazardous material. It prompted evacuations in Ohio and Pennsylvania.
2: And you know what amazed me? Within 48 hours after doing that controlled burn, not only did they clean everything up, they laid a whole new set of tracks and had trains rolling through there before most people could even get home. And that was wrong. That was wrong. People couldn't even get through town to get to their homes after being gone for five to eight days because they had trains rolling through there.
1: Governor said recent tests show the air quality was safe enough. In the meantime, officials are still closely monitoring the water for any chemical runoff that may contaminate wells and drinking water supplies.
6: But during the news conference, it was made clear the situation could have been a whole lot worse.
7: We drove around getting the first pictures of residents arriving home.
8: There was no rush. The lights were on and no one was home. We know what the effects are going to be on us, but me being pregnant is, you know, how is that going to affect baby I came
2: back home with the highest of hopes I wanted things to be okay you know East Palestine is not only where my home is it's my life the people in this community I you know the East Palestine is my entire life when I came into my home I really didn't have a strong smell so I was hopeful we had run purifiers and had changed our furnace filters we went to sleep in the morning, I could hear my baby crying, and he had no voice. So that was my first alert that something's n- not good here. A- and this is my one-year-old, who, by the way, has never, ever been sick since birth. I mean, my children have never, luckily, never have had an earache, never had an ER visit, and, and-, and it caused me great concern. As the days went by, I was finally forced myself to take a shower, you know, as an adult, you can only go so long without showering. And as soon as I got out of that bath water, within a couple hours, I mean, I had a rash. Uh, I, I started not being able to breathe. We started with the headaches, nosebleeds. I mean, I get stomach pains that are so bad that it'll stop me dead in my tracks where I'm bending over in pain that is something that was not occurring before this happened my kids chronic cough and and this is the worst part I'm taking them to the pediatrician after I noticed that this is going on so I took them the first time and they said okay we're waiting from direction from the Ohio Department of Health to know what we should do here so I understood that that was maybe you know 10-12 days and all this happening well my children continued to get worse, uh, and I actually had to rush my two-year-old to the emergency room because I, I woke up one morning to him not being able to breathe. I, I mean, he he could not get air in, and his one eye was like almost closed. And as we as I drove him to the emergency room, I kept looking back, and, and I mean, he looked like death. I, I, I was so scared. By the time I got him to the hospital. When I was carrying him into the ER, he, he started throwing up everywhere. And it was this thick green mucus. I, 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 it, it was like it was all built up in him. And after he seemed to do that, he seemed like he could get his breath. They take us into the back and they say, ma'am, we want you and your son to take a decontamination shower. I'm a mother of five boys, okay? My oldest is 23. In 23 years of taking my children to the ERs, to pediatricians, never, ever have my children had to get a decontamination shower. That is traumatic for a two-year-old, getting sprayed off with a high-pressure hose and doused in some type of cleaning agent. Basically, the vibe I was getting that they were gonna refuse him care unless I did this. So we did the decontamination shower. They came in, they diagnosed him with croup. Uh, I, I know what croup is, okay? Uh, my children have had it many times over the years. They almost get a sealy like bark where they sound like a seal. And it usually occurs when you go to lay them down at night, like as the sun goes down. This occurred first thing in the morning. He really didn't have a cough, he couldn't get air in. The, the child could not breathe. And and I mean, I could hear the tightness in his lungs. They gave him a steroid and what was so funny within the three hours or so that we were at the hospital, I mean, he went from like terrible health to almost better. So to me, if that is from a sickness, you're not going to in three hours get better. To me, that is the environment you're in that is affecting your breathing, that is affecting your body systems because when you're taken out of it you seem to recover so we were there about three hours they gave him an antibiotic we came back home within two hours of being back home the kid was right back to where he was before I brought him to the ER this is where mama bear started getting mad and I started to push back I wasn't gonna accept you're telling me it's safe My body's telling me it's not safe. My children's symptoms are telling me it's not safe. There's something not right here. And especially when I have brand new babies that have never, ever, ever had a health issue until this happened. Now, have they gotten better? Yes. But are my kids' health what it was post derailment? Absolutely not. When I even picked them up this morning, I can hear their lungs rattling. I'm sorry. And it makes me absolutely sick that I am being forced to stay here and being provided no relocation housing, nothing to get my children out of something that could be killing them and it hurts me because like I said it's our job as parents to protect our kids and I feel that that is being ripped away from me and that I'm not doing that and when it's going on a month that a little baby's chest is still rattling and they're having a hard time breathing I don't care what your tests say come and look at my children and tell me what my children's health say to you. I've taken them back, not even five days ago, to their pediatrician again, who told me, still, they are waiting from direction from the Ohio Department of Health on how to treat these kids. What, is my child gonna have to drop dead before you get direction? What is going on here? This is four weeks. I've tried to be patient. I've tried to be understanding. But when my children's lives and my family's lives are on the line, I'm done being patient. I'm done being understanding.
7: Fire in the hole, smoke plume, fire in the sky and Mushroom cloud on the horizon What lies then, high event level Surprise friends, families crying tense Nose eyes, throats. no kind of vents No siren, telling us to leave or stay inside jet Nail biting, edge of my seat We're still alive when disaster strikes And nobody blinks, I can't help but Re-remind of the flint, I'm in a stress Time and again, right in the ship Nobody rewriting the script Marginalized folks, trying to survive while we get hit, while we the victims so many times Times. Obvious shit, socket continues even years between, like Rocky Six, optimist, pessimistic, or real life. It's profits over people till we make it the opposite. Homogenous, horror, this is home where we felt safe. Now it's red tape just to put a red tape in this hellscape.
4: This is potentially m- much bigger than we are realizing, unfortunately. The unfortunate reality is with the additional experts every day, I'm talking to more experts on the topic. I talked with some on the ground. These are professors with with doctorates in these sorts of studies and and studying chemistry and chemicals and explosions and and, uh, engineering and all of the sort of pieces to all of this. The message that they're giving is a very grim one, that the appropriate tests aren't being done. So when we have the EPA or the testers that are being contracted out literally by the railroad that caused this, they're saying the tests are coming back fine, everything's fine, you're all good, everything's fine.
6: Last Wednesday, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine told the residents of East Palestine, Ohio that their water had been tested and is safe to drink. Now we find out, thanks to an investigation by Huffington Post or HuffPost, that those tests were actually done by a consulting firm that was on Norfolk Southern's payroll, which is a clear conflict of interest here. And not only that, we're also learning that the samples that they utilized in order to carry out these tests were deeply flawed.
4: The experts that I'm talking to are saying, sure, those tests might be coming back fine, but they are not testing for the right things. For example, a major concern here is dioxin. Um, When you have a big chemical fire with things like vinyl chloride and the other chemicals that were on board the train, when those catch on fire and get launched up into the air into the giant plume of smoke that you all have probably seen images of at this point, and that cloud that went up stretched for miles and, and went in multiple directions with wind blowing in different directions, so dioxins and some of these other chemicals are sent up into the air and they spread out. And something notable about dioxins is that dioxins from the experts that I talked to are heavier than air. So these dioxins then, after they've been launched up in the air with the thermal energy from the controlled burn, which was more of an explosion in, in my opinion, not an expert on that, but looking at the images and videos of it and talking with residents who watched it firsthand, it sounds more like an explosion to me. These dioxins are sent out in the air in this cloud and then settle down onto the ground, not just in East Palestine, but in, you know, unfortunately, the wind directions changed a couple times when when that controlled burn was going on.
6: There are new questions about the safety of the air and water in East Palestine, Ohio, following the derailment of a 150-car train carrying hazardous chemicals on February 3rd. For some people who live in the area of this derailment, They're not necessarily buying what they're hearing from the EPA. The EPA says that they've been doing tests of the air and the water and they say everything's fine, everything's safe. But they're experiencing something a little different, including burning eyes. They're noticing dead fish in the creek. And one hazardous materials specialist told WKBN, quote, we basically nuked a town with chemicals so we could get a railroad open.
4: So initially, some places to the southeast, then wind directions shifted a little bit more towards sending some of this stuff to the north. Um, And these dioxins settle down to the ground. And again, when we learn more about these dioxins, there are certain plants that if you plant your crops, the dioxins are in the soil, these plants can be absorbing the dioxins. Uh, An example that Dr. Stephen Lester gave at one town hall that I was at said that Brussels sprouts will, is one example, they will actually take the dioxins in and then if humans go and eat these brussels sprouts they now have dioxin inside of them
7: well if they don't do the testing for the dioxin then people will never understand what the risks were they were facing here as a result of this accident they'll understand some of them of course but they'll miss out on a, on a big part of the, the danger and the risks, the health risks. And so, dioxin is an extraordinarily toxic substance. It causes cancer, reproductive problems, developmental problems, um, immune system problems, diabetes. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So, but these are all subtle effects that will affect people over the life of their, over their lives. So um, it'll be hard to say that it was the dioxin that did these things, but it will contribute to their adverse health.
4: Dioxins cause a laundry list of long-term health effects, including a variety of cancers, um, potential issues uh, for mothers who maybe want to have a child, a whole lot more than that even. And again, this is spread out who, who knows how far, and to date, The United States government in any fashion, whether it be the EPA or any of these other testing companies that have been hired by the railroad, has not done a single test for dioxin. And this is not something that one expert is saying needs to be tested for. It's something that expert after expert after expert that I have talked to says needs to be tested for. Being this close to the, the train derailment, I don't trust it.
8: Residents of East Palestine, Ohio, where a train derailed and spilled toxic chemicals earlier this month, expressed anger and concern on Friday after a plume of pollution moved down the Ohio
0: River. I am frustrated. Here I am. I just moved seven months ago. I busted my ass to make this place look like it does. And I got to move because I'm not safe being here. There is no way we are safe being here.
8: Ted Murphy told Reuters that he and his 80-year-old mother are now looking for a new place to live.
7: There's nothing in there, is there?
8: Despite state health officials' insistence that the town of
0: nearly 5,000 is a safe place to be. We're not getting any truth. They, they are
1: not going to own up.
4: So beyond the implications, which are very serious in East Palestine, of folks that I'm talking to with, burning eyes, sore throats, people who are otherwise healthy and have never had to go to the hospital for something like this before. Uh, a mother and a, and a son that I talked with multiple times on this trip uh, were actually hospitalized and needed nebulizer treatment and they now have rescue inhalers. These are people who have never had breathing issues before and do not have health concerns who live right along these railroad tracks. So the, the health concern and the larger catastrophe at hand here is potentially much bigger than what we're seeing right now. While I was on the ground reporting with Status Quo News on this story, we were able to, you know, in my experience talking with residents throughout the entire week I was there, establishing relationships and really taking the time to make these folks feel comfortable. I did an interview, a couple, Darren and Stella. They've lived in East Palestine basically their whole lives, they've got 20, 30 family members who live basically in the one mile radius here. Stella is absolutely pissed off and rightfully so that kids can walk right up to these creeks that are filled with contaminants right now. There's nothing blocking them off from going in there. You've got reports from yesterday that the EPA is essentially telling kids at the high school that things are fine and back to normal now. There's no signage along any of these things. Uh, She's worried about the kids as well. She's worried about letting her kids go out in the backyard and playing in the woods because what's in the soil? What's in the grass? Is having a picnic in your backyard going to get you sick in five years? We don't know right now because this sort of testing isn't being done. One other interview that I want to mention was with a resident named Moo Blake. She's lived in and around East Palestine for years at this point she had just moved into her new apartment, two days maybe, before the derailment happened. When the initial crash happened, she stayed in, in her uh, apartment that was fairly close by, and uh, she was told that she didn't need to evacuate yet as long as she stayed in her house. They said, you can either leave now or just stay off the street, stay in your home, you'll be fine. A couple of days later, uh, and this is her words, not mine, officials came and knocked on her door before the controlled burn and said, It's time to leave now or you're going to be leaving in a body bag. I mean, these are absolutely horrific conditions. When she said that, I I couldn't believe it. And at this point, too, she had been staying in her house and she's been diagnosed with a type of bronchitis. She's on an inhaler. She's having trouble breathing. And she did not have health issues before this at all.
7: Move along. Nothing to see. Everything is just fine. Take it from me. The guy that was hired by the same company that caused this whole thing, but now I'm trustworthy. Everything's peachy keen, you ain't gotta worry. I mean, it's too soon to tell, but not too early. Dioxide? Nah, we ran other tests, though Those chemicals won't end up in your vegetables Nah, well, you never know But who knows anything, though? Long-term effects of smoke And if the burn was controlled, is that better? Oh, Well, Darren and Stella lived their whole lives here without fear Respect them more than just telling them what you think they want to hear Things ain't what they appear We can agree on that, right? And if you don't know, then tell us so Make it a fair fight But if professors and the chemists told you this isn't right Then we gotta hold someone accountable, now
5: in some ways, the story of what happened in East Palestine on February 3rd begins at least in the year 2007, which is the year that Norfolk Southern decided it was going to equip some of its trains with an updated braking system that had been invented in the 1990s. This braking system is known as Electronically Controlled Pneumatic Brakes, ECP Brakes. And Norfolk Southern became the first railroad company in America to equip a train with these new brakes. And well, uh, sort of the conventional braking system currently used on all freight trains, the air braking system stops trains basically one car at a time, sending a pressure signal down the train. The big deal with ECP brakes is that they stop all the cars simultaneously. So Norfolk Southern in 2007 equips a train with these new brakes and brags to investors in a newsletter that these new brakes can reduce train stopping distances by up to 60 percent. So in the case of an emergency stop, the train can stop much more quickly. But the other sort of big deal is, is that with these the old air brakes where you have the train stopping one at a time, the cars can basically run into each other. One thing that is a factor here is how the train is packed, how it's loaded. This this is sort of known in the industry as train makeup. Not only do electronically controlled pneumatic brakes stop trains far more quickly, as Norfolk Southern bragged, but they also reduce the damages that can be caused in derailments. They reduce the risk of a puncture. So this is sort of the backdrop in 2007. Then in the early 2010s, there's sort of a new problem coming into being in the, in the freight rail industry in the U.S., which is that There's a massive uptick in the amount of crude oil being shipped on freight trains. Crude oil and other hazardous materials, but that's sort of the big issue. Crude oil, very flammable, uh, so it's a big concern for it to be shipped on trains. The volume of crude oil
8: transported
5: over North America's rail lines has exploded in number. Since 2008, there's been more than a 4,000% increase in crude oil traveling through communities in the United States and Canada, and not without problems trains hauling oil are derailing and exploding, resulting in severe environmental damage and more unsettling, human casualties. In 2013, there's a huge train derailment in Quebec. 47 people die. It involves crude oil. So the Obama administration is under pressure to regulate trains more strictly, specifically with safety features aimed at these crude oil trains and other trains carrying hazmat. One of the big proposals of the Obama administration is to require freight companies to equip their trains with these ECP brakes that Norfolk Southern was bragging about back in 2007. So the Obama administration puts together uh, sort of a sweeping regulation that involves equipping trains carrying hazardous materials, including crude oil with these ECP brakes, as well as other things like tank retrofits, uh, stricter speed limits on hazmat trains, etc. After bragging about how great these brakes were in 2007, Norfolk Southern and its lobbying group, the Association of American Railroads, turn around and try to kill the ECP braking provision. They argue that uh, the costs of the brakes outweigh the benefits, they're not that much safer. What federal railroad regulators told us was that the freight companies are are under immense pressure from their investors not to do anything that's going to increase costs, even if it reduces derailments, even if it reduces the damages caused by derailments. The Obama administration sort of against this lobbyist pressure actually does include the ECP braking provision in their regulation. So the railroad lobby turns around and gets the Senate to include a line in sort of an omnibus transportation bill that requires a cost-benefit analysis for the new breaking provision, saying if, if the provision does not pass a cost-benefit analysis, it will have to be repealed. This is sort of a classic way that industry uh, blocks regulations from taking effect. A cost-benefit analysis is done heavily reliant on data provided by industry. The Trump administration
6: repeals the rule. Regulations meant to increase the safety of trains carrying oil are going away. Two years ago, the Obama administration said that trains carrying highly explosive liquids must have electronically controlled brakes installed by 2021. But those brakes are expensive, and the U.S. Department of Transportation now says the costs exceed the benefits.
5: It's sort of later found by a big investigation by Associated Press that the cost benefit analysis had been faulty. Of course, like everything that happens in Washington, there was sort of immense industry influence over how it played out. But that was sort of the status. So now no trains in the US have been required to be equipped with ECP brakes, and industry is still sort of using this line that it's too expensive and not worth it, even though this is a braking system that was designed by industry and first touted by industry for making trains safer. Deregulation of the railroad industry basically goes back to sort of the era of broader deregulation of U.S. industry in the 1970s and 80s.
3: Bit by bit, we are chopping down the thicket of unnecessary federal regulations by which government too often interferes in our personal lives and our personal business.
5: And in 1980, uh, the U.S. government passed the Staggers Rail Act, which is this sort of substantial piece of railroad deregulation legislation. And it came as sort of a a broader slate of rail deregulation laws that have been passed in the past few years. And it's been interesting, actually, the Biden administration has made some efforts through executive orders to to crack down on monopoly activity in different industries. And one thing we've seen is Republicans on the transportation committees really defending the Staggers Act as sort of a necessary thing for the health of the, the freight rail system. But the point being that deregulation of the railroads actually goes back many decades and sort of alongside these high profile fights over rail technology. So another big issue uh, in the late aughts was positive train control, which is basically a, a different set of rail technology regulations alongside these fights over deregulation when it comes to technology and what materials the trains are carrying, they're obviously really substantial workforce issues. So part of the backdrop for what happened in East Palestine was years of the railroad industry fighting its unions very hard, reducing crews on trains. Um, so whereas in the 70s and 80s, there might've been five person crews on trains, now we're seeing more like two person crews. The train that derailed in East Palestine had two crew members and a trainee. The conventional air braking system that nearly all freight trains in the U.S. use was designed in 1868. Regulators and lawmakers have been decrying it as a Civil War era brake system for over a decade now, as they've wanted freight trains to switch over to the new, better ECP brake system. Many trains in Europe use the ECP brakes. I think Australia is actually the country that has most widely adopted them. But in the U.S., uh, trains have not been retrofitted with the new brakes. At the time that the Obama administration proposed its rules, the Canadian government also proposed ECP brake rules because lots of these trains run uh, between different countries. But my understanding is because of the lobbying efforts in the U.S., the rules never went into effect in Canada either. So one big part of the story of the Obama rulemaking around hazmat trains was sort of the way that lobbyists won a very narrow definition of what constitutes a hazmat train. So the train that derailed in East Palestine, you know, that many people saw pictures of it on fire after it derailed. Many of us saw the picture of the mushroom cloud that was created when there was the burn off of chemicals. We've been reading about, you know, the concerns about toxins um, in the air, the water, the soil. That was actually not classified as a high hazard flammable train that comes out of a lobbying fight that took place in 2015. So when the Obama administration was issuing these new regulations governing hazmat trains, sort of the big issue was crude oil trains because of this high profile derailment in Quebec. But the National Transportation Safety Board, which is the independent federal agency that investigates transportation accidents and then makes recommendations about derailments, I saw a statistic recently that over 80% of recommendations made by the NTSB have been adopted. They recommended that the regulations take a pretty broad, arguably reasonable view of what makes a HAZMAT a high-hazard flammable train. And that would mean that there would be sort of stricter regulations on those trains. Lobbyists from the chemical industry, from the fossil fuel industry, came in and pushed for a very narrow definition that basically only applied to crude oil and some other chemicals. So flammable gases are not covered by the rule. Vinyl chloride, the flammable gas that was being carried on the train that derailed in East Palestine, does not trigger these classifications. The sort of big picture here is that you'll hear rail workers, you'll hear lawmakers, you'll hear regulators refer to the past 10 or 15 years on the railroads as the buyback era. And what they're sort of referring to is this general trend in which the railroads have been unwilling to spend money even for things that might, you know, lead to long-term profit, safety, and in the short term, have just cut costs in all sorts of ways.
4: So many hearings to react to today. Norfolk Southern CEO Alan Shaw was pressed while testifying on Capitol Hill today. Let's listen.
5: In 2021,
3: uh, your company did $3.1 billion of stock buybacks. And in 2022, $3.4 billion of stock buybacks. And as of December, had another $7.5 billion available to do additional stockbacks under the $10 billion stockback plan. Uh, that's quite impressive numbers for any American uh, company. It indicates uh, massive uh, profits. Will you pledge today that you will do no more stock buybacks until a raft of safety measures have been completed to reduce the risk of derailments and crashes in the future? Senator, I will commit to investing, continuing to invest in safety. We invest over a billion dollars a year, and so you, you noted that you have a list of safety things you'd like to implement. Will you commit no more stock buybacks until those safety improvements are completed, Senator I will commit to continuing to invest in
7: safety.
5: And a lot of this is happening under the framework of precision scheduled railroading, which is supposed to sort of mean that trains have less dwell time, there's less. Time where trains are sitting in yards not being used, but in practice has meant uh, workforce reductions. It's meant that workers have erratic schedules, have a really hard time scheduling things like paid time off or paid sick leave, which is sort of famously something you cannot schedule. And this ended up being a big part of the story over rail worker contract negotiations over the summer and into the fall before Congress finally intervened and blocked a rail strike and sort of a contract was negotiated between union leadership, the railroads and the Biden administration.
1: The
3: concerns are that there's no paid sick days. Look, uh, the railroads have engaged in an intentional business model for the last seven years that is meant to cut the workforce to the bone and all in the name of seeking higher profits. And so what's happened is you've seen 45,000 less workers in the industry. The workers that remain are doing more and more work. And the railroads keep making profits uh, of record proportions. Shareholders keep reaping uh, more dividends. And meanwhile, the workers have worked through a pandemic, exposing themselves to harm's way, without a raise in three years. And so uh, when the members voted on this agreement and failed to ratify, it was because uh, primarily that there was a lack of paid sick days, a lack of basic paid protections for them. So all we're asking for from the railroads is one penny of every dollar of the record profits to provide every single railroad in this country with paid sick days.
5: Precision scheduled railroading, in addition to being what we might think of as just like a traditional labor issue, like workers are exhausted, they can't get time off, their schedules are erratic, obviously has really vast safety implications. So one things you'll hear workers talk about again and again is inspection times. I think the statistic I've heard is that the inspection that would happen for a train car used to be seven minutes in recent years. It was cut down to something more like two minutes and now you're seeing inspections happening in 30 seconds or not at all. Another thing uh, rail workers talk about is there's neither time nor the investment made in infrastructure upkeep. So the trains are just sort of crumbling uh, before their eyes. And then of course the railroads have really been pushing for the ability to run trains which are getting longer under precision, scheduled railroading. This is sort of one feature of this new management system a purported efficiency thing in part a way to run trains with smaller crews. They're pushing to be able to run trains that are now nearly three miles long with a one person crew, which uh, that's an oxymoron. You don't have a one person crew, but with one person instead of two, which is sort of the standard right now.
1: company Norfolk Southern still dealing with the aftermath of this fiery derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, near the Pennsylvania border in early February. Today, the company's CEO, Alan Shaw, testified before Pennsylvania lawmakers.
5: Lawmakers wanted to know who made the decision to vent and burn five derailed train cars, a decision that led to a large release of hazardous chemicals. Norfolk Southern CEO, Alan Shaw, didn't name anyone specific, but said this.
3: The response was managed under the unified command structure established short- Early after midnight with the local fire chief serving as the incident commander.
5: East Palestine Fire Chief Keith Drabic could not be reached for comment. But Shaw's comment didn't sit well with State Senator Doug Mastriano, who chairs the committee that held the hearing.
1: I re- really doubt that a fire chief in a small town would make such a big decision.
5: The Ohio EPA
6: estimated that decision led to the death of nearly 44,000 fish and other aquatic animals. Independent researchers have found elevated levels of some chemicals in the air. Shaw, though, insisted no long-term health effects are expected to come from the chemical release.
3: Senator, I think it's important to note that the vent and burn worked. The
8: it worked? Is that what you said? Sorry, I just didn't hear yes. you.
3: Yes, the, the air testing throughout the process indicated by the EPA, by the Ohio EPA, and by the, the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection notes that the air is clean. Water testing notes that the water is safe. We avoided a, the potential for a catastrophic uncontrolled explosion that would have shot, potentially shot, harmful gas and shrapnel throughout the community.
8: So the bulk of the testing that I'm aware of occurred after um, the burn. So was there any in real-time testing of any human lungs or air quality in any of these people's houses, some of which were told to shelter in place um, while they watched a giant orange eruption above their home? Was there air testing done during the burn while these people were sitting inside of their homes?
3: Yes, and our air testing was in place shortly shortly after the derailment. And air testing indicates that the air quality was safe throughout the community during the vent and burn before, during and after.
8: So we as a committee have none of that data. So it's very difficult for us. I mean, I would say that to anyone, it's no personal offense to you, Um, It it just in the absence of having reports and numbers and data, it's really difficult, especially based on symptoms reported by those who live in that community. you know, if people had rashes and can't breathe and are having respiratory distress, I would argue that. Um, and if you weren't real-time monitoring in their homes or around their homes during this burn, I don't know how anyone can say that it was, that it worked or that it that no harm was done, because if you're burning off things during that burn, you could argue the highest contaminant level would be during the burn.
3: Sir, I'm, I'm very sorry for the impact that this has had on the community. I do understand. That some of the citizens have developed symptoms
1: with which they're not comfortable, they're not comfortable, they're not
2: comfortable, they're not comfortable. East Palestine is a, what was was a great place to live. Everybody knows everybody. I know I can walk across the street, get a cup of sugar. I know I can call my girlfriend and say, hey, can you come watch my kids? You know, you walk into the local barber shop, everybody knows everybody. Uh, it, it's just a real tight-knit community, and it's generation after generation. My parents grew up here. I grew up here. I have adult children, you know, that ha- have grown up here and had planned on staying here. It, it, it's an awesome community to live in, And the sad thing of it is, is these are good people that live here. And they are good people that are being done wrong. And I love the members of this community. And what is happening here is an absolute nightmare. That I think every morning I'm going to wake up from this. and, and, And I'm not. I'm not. And you know, my biggest fear is we're fighting to test for these dioxins, which, you know, they, they gave us a little run around that they're gonna do that, but really not gonna do it. They're gonna do it, but really not gonna do it. But, uh, you know, my greatest fear is is if they find those, is, is our town gone for, forever? You know, and it like I've said it before, it's not only about my home, it's about my health and it's about my life. I have lost my actual life throughout all of this. The town is not the same. The people are not the same. We are traumatized. I used to, you know, you hear that whistle going through town, you'd be like, oh, there goes another train. Now you hear that whistle and it makes you scared. You hear a fire siren. Like the other day, I was watching court TV, I think, and sirens were in the background, and I jumped up off my bed, and my heart was pounding. And it was like, that was the first time I even realized for my own self how traumatized I have been by this. Not only that, like my 10-year-old son, I asked him, I said, did you get to see Governor DeWine? Because Governor DeWine said he went into the school, and if a train... You would have never known a train wrecked in this town if you would have went into this school. And he said, no mom, that's not what kids told Governor DeWine. Kids told Governor DeWine that it's weird here. A bunch of kids are missing. And it makes us scared that we're here and all of our friends aren't here. Cause there's multiple families that haven't even let their children return to school. There's multiple families that haven't even returned back to East Palestine. I'm starting to see this narrative where people want to say that everything's okay here now and things are amping down. They're not. They're trying to sweep things under the rug, hoping the next big story comes along and then we will be forgotten. And that is my biggest fear. We as residents of East Palestine feel absolutely powerless. We know that Norfolk Southern has their finger in every pot. They are a multi-billion dollar corporation. And it goes from Black Rock and Vanguard and it trickles all the way down. And just like the EPA said, they took reins over all this and they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna let them do anything and they're gonna fine them three times the amount. Okay, that was to happen weeks ago. So how did these five truckloads of this material get to Texas because the EPA was already supposed to be controlling everything before that even went down. So five truckloads of this hazardous material was sent to Texas and then sent back to the town because those people do not want that put there in their town. Then the EPA stepped in the next day and said, from now on, we're going to make sure that we approve every site that they're going to dump these wastes at. Well, I I thought that was already going on. So there's where the lies come in. And, 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 you know, when you see politicians caught in outright lies, it's even more concerning for us of how deep does that money run and how deep is their power. And, you know, sometimes when I'm going through the day and I'm just one person and I feel like I'm trying to do everything I can to have my voice. I I feel sometimes defeated like I'm trying to fight a war that I I just will never ever be able to win.
7: Where we confront lies, much rather cut ties than let this stuff fly, it's crunch time. When my five-year-old used to hear the train whistling, and giggling, and smile. Now it's tears trickling down the eyes, putting profits over lives. Real people, regulations lax, trains don't even have a real crew. 30-second inspections, treated as less than crude attitudes. Industry influences, feeling like a bad dream, gotta stay awake in Palestine. Treated like the place that it shares its name with, not highly flammable, but with all the flames, then civil war breaks, and you should be ashamed of deep power, shallow pockets, railroading ain't chain, shareholders over safety, heartbreaking and humane. How you turn the clock back from total destruction, new cycle turns, but don't forget about us.
0: Well, that was infuriating. Once again, this is Manny Faces, and on behalf of the entire Newsbeat team, thank you for listening, and in doing so, helping shine a light on this important story. If you like what we did, or learned something you didn't know, or were inspired, or outraged, I really think this is a good episode to share with your networks. I think more people need to understand all the nuances of this story, which, as we know, won't be leading the newscasts anytime soon. I want to give thanks and props to Lewis DeAngelis and Julia Rock for their incredible, incredible work covering this tragedy and exposing the truth about it. From its underreported health effects on the residents of East Palestine to its causes and the inadequate response of the government and local officials to the potential life-threatening ramifications still unfolding. Check out Louis' stories and more at statuscoup.com. That's C-O-U-P dot And follow him on Twitter at D 217 and you can check out Julia's incredible work at LeverNews.com, L-E-V-E-R News.com, and follow her on Twitter, J-U-L-1-A-Rock. And please, please visit and support all the absolutely necessary and outstanding work by those two independent news outlets, Status Coup News and The Lever. Truly incredible work going on over there, and we are big fans. Follow them both on Twitter, at levernews and at Status Coup. Again, C-O-U-P. Independent media has never been more absolutely vital than right now. Support them, share them, tell everyone you know about them. Now I wanna give extra special props to Candace DeSanzo. You know, as journalists, we have the absolute sacred honor, privilege, and responsibility to share people's stories and dig deep for the truth. It's also important to recognize that we're doing just that, sharing, and that those who we interview are actually living these stories. They don't move on to the next one and you know what it's not always easy for people to open up about their lives like that so what can we say about candace you know we've covered a lot of really important issues on this podcast to date and we've spoken to a lot of folks candace words simply fall short our hearts go out to you and your children and family and all of those in east palestine as you told us nobody knows the full ramifications of this tragedy and they'd be lying through their teeth that they claim they do i know one thing for sure though we stand with the people of east palestine We demand justice. We demand accountability. We demand the truth. Now, a lot has happened since we conducted our interviews for this episode. There's been several other train derailments underscoring the need to improve rail safety. Hours before we finalized this episode, the U.S. Department of Justice sued Norfolk Southern for injunctive relief, cost recovery, and civil penalties, according to the suit. A few weeks after our interview, Candace and her family were temporarily relocated to Niles, Ohio, which is about 30 miles north of East Palestine. Yet, like so many others who once considered this sleepy Ohio village the perfect home where everybody knows everybody and the ubiquitous whistles of passing trains were welcomed, embraced really. She doesn't want to return. Who would? Newly released data about the extremely limited and flawed soil testing conducted in the village to date shows dioxin levels hundreds of times greater than the exposure threshold above which EPA scientists in 2010 found poses cancer risks. So Candace, Thank you for sharing your story and giving a voice to all those suffering this hellish nightmare in East Palestine. On behalf of all of us at Newsbeat, I'll tell you that we've got your back. As we promised, we're going to stay on this story, just as we know Lewis and Julia will as well. You see, that's another badge of honor and what helps separate independent outlets like Newsbeat and Status Quo News and The Lever from those corporate publications and sites. We're not guided by money or who the publisher knows or who the hell we're going to piss off if we cover one issue or another. We are guided by the truth. And we'll stay on the story until we see fit. All right, that's it for us. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back soon. Don't forget, sign up for our free newsletter at newsbeat.substack.com for even more information and updates about this and other stories that we've covered. We'll see you again soon. Peace. I am Brother Cornell West.
1: This is Chris Hedges.
0: I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D. Public Enemy, Prophecy of Rage, and this is Newsbeat. This is a Many Faces Media
1: production.
4: Many Faces. You sick for this one?